you're all alone in your head. Stranded at sea on a stepping stone. There's a cloud inside you, it's welling up. Your eyes are holding back a flood. It's safe to come undone. You're not worthless, you're precious. You're not left out, you're wanted. You're not invisible with your shining soul. Love has spoken, you are chosen. Does everybody know what the word hermeneutics means? So hermeneutics is a word. It comes from the Greek language. Uh, it comes from a Greek word called hermeneunin, which means to utter or explain or translate. And it's basically thinkers who are discussing divine messages. The body of understanding called hermeneutics that we talk about in ministry is the proper understanding and interpretation of Scripture. That there are certain principles that are applied, right? So when we study the Bible, there's certain principles. Now, of course, you know, there's a variety of different interpretations. You can tell by the different denominations, but there is proper fundamental hermeneutics involved in studying Scripture. One of the first ones, the primary ones, is that we need to be careful that we don't assume the author's worldview, belief, or perspective. So when you're reading a book, if you go into the book, of course, you want to look at the book from the author's point of view, not from your point of view, okay? Sadly, the Bible is, you know, the interpretation is violated often because people bring their own understanding into the Bible and they don't let the Bible speak for itself. And that goes for word, word uses. You know, we're, we're reading an Eastern book and we're from a Western point of view. So when we look at different things, we need to understand that they're seeing things from a different perspective. We need to be aware of our own preconceptions in our own theology. That when we come to the Bible, oftentimes we think we know what the Bible says. And so we read that in and we are all guilty of it. There isn't a class of people that is inured or immune to this. We all struggle with this. We all want to bring our understanding in. In fact, one of the great, you know, revelations for me is, you know, coming across something and say, you know, I always thought it meant this, but I come to find out it means this, right? Because God's able to break through your preconceptions. And sometimes that's more difficult than others, you know? We tend to impose our own perspective on the text. We, in, we need to allow the context to shape and inform the meaning of what is being communicated. This comes into being in the literary context, the situational context, and even the wider world. We're looking at this from our culture point of view. But the biblical culture was very different than our culture, right? So we need to recognize that. Um, we need to be careful not to take things out of context. That's a biggie, right? And that comes in and, you know, I want to validate my point, so I'm going to find a verse that means what I think it should mean. Well, that's not the way to do it. You're supposed to let it speak. And even if it contradicts your thinking, uh, somebody said one time, a text without a context is a pretext. Or somebody else said, if you take a text out of its context, you're left with a con. And people do that all the time. And interestingly, they do it on certain subjects where they don't do it on other subjects. They could be completely fine in their hermeneutics in all different subjects, topics. But all of a sudden, when they come to a specific to topic, they throw all that out and they take the traditional point of view, which means yanking things out of context. So I just want to lay that groundwork today as we go into this topic of agency. So go to Matthew chapter 8, Matthew 8. Okay, so what we're going to look at here are two records of the same event, but we're going to notice that there's a big difference between these two records, and we're going to ask ourselves why, okay? Okay, look in verse 5. It's Matthew 8, verse 5. It says, when Jesus came to Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home parallel, paralyzed and in terrible suffering. And Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word, my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to the servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, 
I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. That was quite a th- quite a thing, you know, right? Because this centurion was a Gentile, and yet he understood this notion of agency in the sense of being able to, you know, look, you say it, it'll be done, it, because you know the uh, the subordinates have to obey, right? So. Verse 11, I say to you that many will come to the uh, from the east and the west and will take their place at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yeah, so not everybody who thinks they're getting in are getting in, right? And uh, verse 13, then Jesus said to the centurion, go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed that very hour. Isn't that great? That's a great story. So in this record, Jesus is speaking, or uh, yeah, Jesus is speaking directly to the centurion. Okay, there's a conversation between these two men, right? I mean, that's what how it seems, right? Okay, go to Luke chapter 7. And remember, the scripture is inerrant. What does that mean? It means it's without error, okay? It's written by different men, but it's without error. And it was holy men of God that were moved, or that spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Okay? So Luke chapter 7, look in verse 1. It says, And Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people. He entered Capernaum. Then a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. Now listen to this. The centurion heard that Je- heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. Hmm, that's a little different than the other record, remember? The other record had the centurion speaking directly to Jesus. Here, he sent elders of the Jews. Verse 4, and when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. And so Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. So he had sent a, sent a, a, a first group. That first group were elders, Jewish elders, and they said, you know, this centurion needs you. And then he sent some friends, so two groups of people. And they came to Jesus, and they said, you know, um, I don't deserve to have you under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found so great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Okay, so two records, same event, but clearly there's a difference between the two. Now you could throw your hands up and say, oh, well, the word of God is fallible. You know, we have two different records by two different men, and clearly they remembered the thing wrongly, right? And a lot of people take that point of view. Um, But there is another explanation, and that's what we're going to talk about today. It's called agency, agency, that I can either deal with you face-to-face or I can send a representative to you with my message. Isn't that something? And we're going to talk about that. That's this principle of agency. Now, in our culture, we don't think this way, right? If I want to get in touch with somebody, what do I do? Well, I can text them or I can email them or I can pick up a phone and call them. But rarely do I say, you know, do I commission somebody to go and take my message to somebody? Um, But this was very well known in the Jewish culture and generally throughout the Greco-Roman Empire or the, the culture. So agency means this, that one individual sends another on his behalf who is authorized to act for him. That's a big word, authorized, authorized to act. This representative can act in one of two ways. He can simply convey a message for the sender. And this is a person who's called a perhaps like a messenger. Or this representative can be empowered to act on his own. And that would be a delegate. So the person who sends them, we know in legal terms as being the principal. And the person being sent is the agent. Okay. 
so that agent can convey a message or can actually act on his own. Isn't that interesting? As a delegate, right? You think about countries where they have ambassadors and they send an ambassador to another country. That ambassador has delegacy. He has the, the ability to negotiate on his own. He doesn't have to constantly check back with the principal. He's been authorized, there's the word, in order to do this work of delegation. Okay, so that's a that's an important point here in this whole notion of agency. Okay, in our own culture, we can think of a couple of examples of this. Now, think of what a power of an of attorney is. Right, a power of attorney is where I empower my wife to go and make decisions for me. Right, to do things in my name. That's a power of attorney. That's agency. That's this idea of agency. So the person who's sending is called the principal or grantor. We still use these terms. And then, of course, the person's an agent. Or here's another example, guardian ad litem. What's a guardian ad litem? Somebody who is, you know, you have an adult or a child who is, you know, mentally incapacitated or physically unable. The court will designate somebody as that person's guardian to make decisions for that person. You see that? That's agency. So do we all understand that? Now, this is hugely important for understanding Scripture, hugely important. We're going to look at four examples of agency, and I think these are probably going to blow your mind. Okay, go to Genesis chapter 32. We're going to talk about Jacob and his little wrestling match. Yeah, so Jacob was a wrestler. No, he wasn't a wrestler, but he, had, he got into a wrestling match. Okay, look in verse 30, uh, chapter 32, verse 24. It says, so Jacob had left alone or was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip w- was wrenched uh, as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? And Jake, Jacob, he said. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Pen- Peniel or Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face. Is that literally true? No. So we're reading about this wrestling match between Jacob and what appears to be a man, right? And then at the end, Jacob says, I saw God face to face. Now, why is that strange agency? Agency. So was it a man that he was wrestling with? Well, we don't really know from the from the context, but the answer is no. He wasn't wrestling with a man. He was wrestling with an angel. Um, go to Hosea. And look in Hosea 12, verse 4. It says, he, Jacob, struggled with the angel and overcame him. He wept and begged for his favor, and he found him at Bethel and talked with him there. So clear clear enough, he was dealing with an angel. And yet even still, he said, I saw God face to face. So my point here being is that in this culture, they fully understood this notion of agency that he was wrestling with this angel. Now think about it. What what does angel mean? It means messenger, doesn't it? So he's wrestling with this angel, and this angel blesses him. So this angel had delegate responsibilities or capabilities. Isn't that interesting? And blessed him, and also conveyed to him that his name was no longer Jacob, but Israel. You think that's a little significant? That's big. That is really big. It was an angel angel who was the Lord's agent here. Okay, go to Exodus chapter 3. We all know this record. It's, it's uh, Moses and the burning bush. So in our mind's eye, when we, you know, since we were kids and we went to Bible class and we learned about the burning bush. And, and so it's way back in Genesis or in Exodus, I mean. So, um, so in, in our mind, we, we can picture Moses standing there. And he's got a burning bush right next to it. And this voice is coming out of the burning bush. And we know it's God's voice, of course, right? Okay, so Exodus chapter 3 and look in verse 4. It says, And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him 
from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place that you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So so God is speaking to him, I am this God, and, and Moses believed him. Didn't want to look at him, right? Verse 14, look at verse 14, it says, And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am sent me to you. All right? So God called, God said, God, right, conveyed these messages. But I want you to look back in Exodus 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock with Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that through the, though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So which is it? Was God talking to him or was the angel talking to him? Well, that's kind of interesting. Go to Acts chapter 7. Acts 7. Remember, I told you that the Hebrews were very comfortable with this whole notion of agency, very comfortable with it. So this is going to be Acts chapter 7, verse 30. And it says, after 40 years had passed, this is Stephen speaking, right, in this great sermon of his. This is Acts 7:30. So Stephen is standing up and he's speaking. He says, after 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush near Mount Sinai. So clearly, the angel is speaking to him. It wasn't like the angel and God were in the burning bush and each took turns talking to him. It was the angel who was speaking to him. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. He went over to look more closely. He heard the Lord's voice. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So not only is this angel a representative of God, but he speaks in first person. Now, isn't that interesting? He doesn't say, the Lord told me to tell you, you know, take your shoes off. He says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Take your shoes off. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? It is clearly an angel, and this angel has been authorized to speak for God in first person. Now, that's wild. <laughs> that's wild. That's a big deal. Some some would call that blasphemous, but clearly God doesn't, right? And they didn't think it was blasphemous. And that's my point here. Let's not bring our own preconceptions into the scriptures. Let the scriptures speak for themselves. Third story. So we've covered two stories. We got two more to go. Third example, this is Moses and the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. Okay, go to Acts chapter 7. Acts 7. Oh, you're in Acts 7. Look at verse 38, Acts 7, 38. So this is Stephen. He's still talking. And he says, Moses was in the assembly in the desert with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers. And he received living word to pass on to us. But our fathers refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. Wow, isn't that something? So so when Moses got the law, most of us in our mind's eye have God speaking to Moses and Moses, you know, getting the law directly from the mouth of God. But here, Stephen is saying, no, it was an angel. You don't have to turn there, but in Exodus, it says that Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, and they were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. And then what did he do? He went down and saw them worshiping the calf, and he smashed them, and then he had to go back up. And in and you don't have to turn there again, but in Exodus 34, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you wrote. So it was clearly Yahweh who spoke, right? But he was speaking through an agent. In these records in Exodus, you wouldn't read that. Now, I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 2. And look in verse 1. It says, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have learned or heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels, this is talking about the law, if the message spoken by angels was binding, 
and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we, right, living in this new administration, Christians, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? Interesting, huh? So here, clearly, we're talking about the angels received the law or spoke the law to to Moses who received it from them. Okay, go to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. So Galatians 3, look in verse 19. It says, what then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. All right. So the purpose of the law was a schoolmaster. We know that, right? And that schoolmaster was to watch over Israel until the promised seed had come. Who's the promised seed? Jesus, right? It says the law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. Is that awesome? So do you see this? This is agency. This is agency. God conveyed to Moses the law, but it was through the messenger, the angel. Now, that's just interesting to me. That was a mediator. And who was this mediator, by the way, in the in this record here? Well, that's Moses. So it was the mediator was Moses. He was a type, by the way, of Jesus Christ. You know, when we talk about Jesus Christ as the mediator between God and man, well, Moses was the type there. And so Moses received the law from the angel. So that's interesting. So last last example here, Joseph's relationship with Pharaoh. Everybody remember Joseph? Okay. So Pharaoh had a dream. And in that dream, he saw seven head of fat cattle and seven heads of good grain versus seven head of scrawny, ugly cattle and seven, you know, heads of thin and bad grain. And so Joseph told him that this meant what? That there were going to be seven years of abundance followed by seven years of famine, right? And that they should take food from the first seven years and put it away for a rainy day. Okay, so go to Genesis 41, Genesis 41. So this record isn't, by the way, involving angels. This is just agency. Remember, we're paying attention to agency. Okay, so look in verse 37. So after Joseph had told Pharaoh his plan, it says in 37, 41, 37, it says the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked him, can we find anyone like this man on uh, one in whom is the Spirit of God. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, that's awesome. So here was this Gentile Pharaoh, but he recognized that there was something special about Joseph, that the Spirit of God worked in him, that he was able to interpret this dream. And it was prophetic. I mean, uh, if he hadn't done this, history would have been changed irrevocably. I mean, it, it was a big, big, significant thing. Verse 39, then Pharaoh said to Moses, or uh, Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. That's agency. He put Joseph in charge of his entire kingdom, but Joseph still had to answer to him. So he delegated his responsibilities to Joseph. That's a big deal, isn't it? I think that's really something. And he said only in the throne, which means that he continued, the Pharaoh continued to maintain his sovereignty, his rulership, that by Commending this entire kingdom to Joseph didn't mean that he abdicated his authority. Okay, and that's very important for us to recognize. It goes on in verse 41. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. That's something. That is a delegate, and that is agency. Okay? He entrusted his entire kingdom to Joseph, and Joseph administered it as Joseph saw fit. Now, that's really special. 42. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed it in he dressed in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command and men shouted before him, make way. Thus, he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift a hand or foot in all of Egypt. Wow, that's that's huge. So we have these four examples of agency, okay? And there are many more in the Bible. We're going to look at some today, but so you have this idea of being a messenger, carrying forth a messenger, 
and even in that, we can, these messengers could speak as if they were God himself. Okay. There would, and they would recognize them. They thought it was God, but it was an angel. Okay. There's this sense of delegation, right? That, that responsibilities are being de- delegated to this representative of God and he has the ability to work autonomously to do things. Okay. And, and think about the trust relationship that exists between God and that delegate. Think about the parable. Remember parable ta- uh, that Jesus talked about when he said, you know, there was a, a man and he built a vineyard and he put men in charge of it, right? But these men weren't good delegates, were they? And then he sent to find out. He sent a servant to f- find out, well, what's going on with my wine? And they beat up the servant. And then he sent another servant, right? So here he's sending representatives of him to these people who had been delegated with responsibility, and they were beating up the representatives. And then finally he said, well, I'll send my son. Of course they'll recognize him. So he sends his son, and and these unjust delegates go, hmm, if we beat up the son, if we kill him, then we get the inheritance. And so they killed the son. Who is this representative of? It's Jesus and the prophets. Remember, the prophets were the ones who were the you know, servants going and telling these people, and they beat them up, and then it was Jesus the Son. So we get this idea that Christ is part of this notion of agency. Isn't that awesome? And this is very important. He is God's authorized representative. He speaks for God on behalf of God. This is Jesus Christ. You talk to most Christians, you talk to them about agency, they have no idea what you're talking about. And now you know. Yeah. So it's this this idea of agency, this idea that we can delegate responsibilities. You know, we talk about the divinity of Christ. Well, what does that mean? When we're talking about divinity, I absolutely believe in the divinity of Christ. I believe in the divinity of his mission and his office. Right. I believe that he spoke with divine authority. He was God's representative and that Jesus is God's representative, that he was the bright image of divine perfection. But the Bible clearly says, clearly says Jesus was a man. So we're going to be looking into this a little bit today. Very important. Go to Acts chapter two. Acts chapter 2. This is day of Pentecost. Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost, and he gave this incredible sermon, uh, 22, verse 22. Peter says, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God. What does it mean to be accredited? That God put his stamp of approval on him. He said, this is my man, okay? Now think about this. This is the apostle Peter. Peter did a lot of things that were kind of, you know, head scratching. You go, what was he thinking? But remember, remember, it was it was uh, Peter that Jesus came to him and said, Peter, who do the people say that I am? And Peter said, well, you know, some say you're Elijah and others say this and that. Right. And then Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, well, you're God. No, he didn't say that, did he? What did he say? He says, Well, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And then what did Jesus say? He said, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, meaning no person told you that, but my father in heaven declared that to you. Isn't that something? So this is Peter. You know, Peter was a knucklehead in a lot of ways, but boy, I'll tell you what, when it came right down to it, he was on the money. Here, he's on the money. He's the one who stood up and said, this Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God, that God had put his stamp of of approval on him. He goes on, he says, men of Israel, well, let me read that all all over again. Men of Israel, listen to this, Jesus of Nazareth, a man accredited by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did among you through him. That's wild, isn't it? So who is performing the miracles? God, how? Through his delegate. Isn't that something? Through him, as you yourselves know. That's spectacular. So Jesus was Yahweh's representative. Verse 23, this man, there it is again, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible 
or death to keep a hold on him. How about that? That's awesome. That's awesome. Go to Matthew chapter 1. This is a challenging verse for a lot of people. They struggle with this because they don't understand agency. Verse 21, Matthew 1, 21, it says, And she gave birth, this is talking about Mary, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And everybody goes, oh, there it is. Jesus has to be God because this means God with us. Is that the case? We'll go to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. You know, it's important for us to, in biblical research and studying the Bible, that Things may appear one way, and we just have to take a deep breath and take a step back and say, does this fit with everything else? And not jump to conclusions. Not jump to conclusions. Luke chapter 7, look in verse 16. It says, they were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us. They said, God has come to help his people. Do you see that? Isn't that interesting? Now, you know, in the people who do believe in the Trinity, they typically don't use this verse. And the reason being is because on one hand, you have a great prophet. Who's What's a prophet? Well, a prophet is somebody who speaks for God. And then the latter part of that statement is God has come to help his people. So clearly this can't mean that that prophet they're talking about is God, right? It's a It's a little kind of a contradiction. And that's important for us to recognize. So when we talk about Emmanuel, God is with us, does that have to mean literally that God is with us in this little baby? No, not at all. Not at all, right? Jesus grew up to become this great prophet, and it's still God with us. Why? Because he's literally God? No, because he represents God in his prophecy. Does that make sense? I mean, it's pretty clear. It's pretty clear. He was an agent of God. Go to John chapter 12. People say, well, this diminishes Jesus. Uh, Not at all. Jesus was the designated, authorized representative of God with the powers of God, right? Remember, he forgave somebody their sin. (gasps) Who can forgive? What man can forgive sins? He says, I can. Why? Because I've been authorized to do it. John chapter 12, verse 44, chapter 12, verse 44, and Jesus cried out, when a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. When he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. Can I say that again? When he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. Everybody know the record where it says, you know, well, here, we'll read it here. Uh, give me a second. Uh Look in verse down in verse fifty. I know that he his commands lead to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. He's a true messenger. Okay. Now go to John fourteen. Now this is a verse that a lot of times people will come to you and say, "Well, look, right? Look at this." Uh, chapter fourteen, verse eight. It says, "Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us.'" And Jesus answered. Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Okay, remember what we just read. He who, it says, when he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. Here he's saying, he that has seen me has seen the Father. Could it be clearer? (laughs) He is the agent of the Father. He is representing representing the Father. How can you say, say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his Whose work is it? God's work. Remember earlier, who was performing the miracles and the signs and the wonders? God was through Christ, through Christ. Go to John chapter 10, look in verse 28. Jesus says, I give them eternal life. Now, I want to stop there. Remember, Jesus said that that ability had been given to him, right? So he says, I give eternal life that they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. 
right? No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. Is that talking literally one? No. That means that he is a faithful representative of his father, and they are one in purpose and in devotion and in love, right? Affection. They are one. They have common purpose. So we're going to talk a little bit about authority. Go to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28. Look at verse 18. 28, 18, it says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Given to me. Who gave it to him? God did. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything as I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the ages. Right? So Jesus was given authority. He was authorized, right? He was a man accredited of God to go forth and do the work of God. Okay? Go to Psalm 8. This is a very famous Psalm. Psalm 8. Look in verse 3. It says, When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? and the Son of Man, that you care for him, right? So this is dealing with God, who created the heavens and the earth, and man. And what man? Well, a very special man. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. You know, it's interesting, this word heavenly beings. You know what the Hebrew word for that is? Elohim. Well, that's God's name. But Elohim is being used here of angels and of... And that's an interesting point here that we will see when we read the Bible that these people who are in authorities, these beings, that God confers his title, his title, Elohim, his name, he confers upon angels, he confers upon men, right? I think that's really interesting. Judges, these are, this is this term Elohim, which is used. It's God, it means God literally, but is conferred upon these these people, right? So he says here, let me read this over again. He says, uh, um, you made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. Well, that's talking about Jesus. And we're going to talk about that a little later. So who did this? Who put all this under his feet? God did. He put that under Jesus's feet. Who's Jesus? The agent. Okay, we're going to talk a little bit about judgment. You know, we we have, you know, we're all working. One day we're going to be judged for our lives. Go to Matthew 25. Matthew 25. Is this blowing anybody's minds? Oh, good. That's right. Okay, Matthew 25. Look at verse 31. It says, And when the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, he shall sit on his throne in heavenly glory. Okay, so this is going to be, you know, the end days. Go to Luke 9. Luke 9, look at verse 26. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the angels. Okay, so this is the last times, right? Okay, now go to John chapter 12 and verse 47. Now listen to this. As for the person who hears my word but does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world but to save it. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. For I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. Is that clear? <laughs> that not only was the content of what he said from God, but so was the way he was supposed to say it. I know that he com that his commands lead to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father told me to say. Look in chapter 5 of John, verse 24. It says, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted to the Son to have life in 
himself. Interesting, huh? Delegation. That God has the ability to give life. Well, now he's passed that on to his son. Verse 27, and he has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man. How about that? Verse 28, do not be amazed at this, for the time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. By myself, what? I can do nothing. Is that clear to everybody? I judge only as I hear. And my judgment is just, for I seek to pl- not to please myself, but him who sent me. Wow. That is just so important. Go to John chapter 8. So we're looking at judgment. Now, th- this is really significant because, you know, we're all taught that Jesus will do the judging. All right. And look in verse 28. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. How about that? So far from being the third person of the Trinity, Jesus is God's representative, okay? And this is very important for us to recognize. And it's important to recognize because the Scripture will open up to you as it never has before if you recognize this, but it'll come slamming shut if you don't let the Word speak for itself. And this is really important. Go to Acts chapter 17. Acts 17. God is supplying his representative with everything he needs. He's getting knowledge. He's getting the message. He's getting the judgment. He's getting the life. Everything is being supplied by God to Jesus to do what God has called Jesus to do. Well, that makes all the sense in the world, doesn't it? Acts chapter 17. Okay, Acts chapter 17, look in verse 29. It says, therefore, since we are God's offspring, this is this is uh, Paul talking to the Athenians on Mars Hill, right? And he says, therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think of the divine being that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. I'd like to stop there and say that's precisely what the doctrine of the Trinity is. It is an image made by man's design and skill. It is not biblical. You cannot find the Trinity in the Bible. And after all we've been looking at so far, it ought to be very clear. It's not scriptural. It's not scriptural. It says in verse 30, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he, he, who, he is who, Yahweh, he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. Who is that? Jesus. Who's doing the judging? God is. How? Through Christ. Remember, Christ says, I have myself can do nothing. As I see, I judge, but my judgment is true because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me, right? The judgment is God's. It's God's judgment carried out by his delegate, Christ. It goes on to say he has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. That's awesome. Go to John chapter 6, John 6, verse 37. It says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Talking about people, right? And it says, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. That's very clear. Go to John chapter 8. It's uh, 842. Now, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, right? Remember the Pharisees who went around saying, well, we represent God. Did they represent God? No. Were they genuine, true agents of God? No, they weren't. They were false agents. Okay. And Jesus came to them and said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and now am here. I have not come on my own will, but he sent me. Okay. He sent me. I'm his messenger. Luke chapter 10. And we're getting down to where we're going to wrap this up. But I just wanted to hit a few of these verses to show you this whole notion of agency. Luke chapter 10, look in verse 16. He who listens to you listens 
to me. He who rejects you rejects me, but he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. You know, this verse has been in my mind all week long. Remember in the word it says the head of every man is Christ, the head of Christ is God, right? And this idea of people who reject your message reject Jesus's message. Now this is, and I've made this point in fellowship before, but say I'm having a conversation with somebody and I share the truth of God's word and it's true. What I'm saying is true. I'm being a true witness of God. Those words, this isn't just, you know, my opinion versus somebody else's opinion. This is the truth of God and I'm speaking it to a person and that person rejects me. Well, I might get my feelings hurt a little bit, right? But this is bigger than me, because if that person, I speak the truth to them, and they reject what I say, they, I am in the stead of Christ. I am an agent of Christ. So it's as if they were rejecting Christ himself. Do you see the significance? Does that put a little bit of importance on your life? That it's not just you going out there and battling people in this big ideological thing we have going on here, that you've been commissioned by Christ to speak the truth. And when somebody rejects you, they're not just rejecting you, they're rejecting Christ, okay? And they're not just rejecting Christ, they're rejecting God. So do you realize that if you speak the truth to somebody, that conversation will be brought up in the last day at the judgment? Can you imagine that? Something well, uh, uh, Billy... Uh, you know, remember that conversation you had with John Touchstone and John told you this, this and this? That was me speaking and you rejected it. Now, that's that's pretty significant. I think we need to see our lives so much bigger, don't we? What does the word say? We are ambassadors for Christ. We are agents for Christ. We are commissioned with a message. We have a message to take to people. It's significant and eternal life or eternal death lie in the balance. And this is how big this thing is. So we have to see our lives bigger than we're seeing it, I think. I know just thinking about that all week long really got my attention. Uh, Go to John chapter 10, verse 27. It says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give to them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than them all or greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Is that one in being? No, it's one in purpose. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the father. For which of these do you stone me? The Jews said, we're not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claims to be God. Interesting, huh? Well, number one, this word God here should be translated a God. In every other place that it's translated, you have the article in front of it, a God. So what they said was, it's blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be a God. Okay, now what does this mean? This is a head scratcher, right? Did Jesus, Jesus told them, I'm the son of God. And they said, whoa, that's blasphemy because you claim to be a God by saying that you're the son of God. That's strange, isn't it? Well, what did they mean? Was there a convention in Israel at the time that said, whoever says that I am the son of God is saying I'm God. There was no such convention in Israel. Nobody thought this. This is something that we've kind of put on top of this. Remember, the Trinity didn't come for another 300 years. We use the term anachronistic, which means that it's something out of time placed in it. So we, you know, we take our understanding of something that happened hundreds of years later and transpose it on this. They didn't think this way. By saying that Jesus, by Jesus saying that he was the son of God, he wasn't saying that he was God. Nobody thought that. Remember, Agency was part of this culture. It was part of this culture. A man could be a representative, a judge, a priest, a king, an angel, right? These were all notions of a prophet. Now look in verse 34. Jesus answered them, is it not written in the law? I said, you are gods. Notice the small g there, gods. So Jesus is quoting out of the Old Testament that you are gods. 
Hold your finger here and go to Psalm 82. He's quoting from Psalm 82. What is Psalm 82 talking about? Agency. Agency. So he quotes them, and he, he by the way, he, he put it to them. They didn't have a response for him. So they're saying, look, you say you're the son of God. It's blasphemy because you're saying that you are God, or a God, right? And he said, well, wait a minute. Doesn't your law say you should, you're gods? And they're like, huh? Let's read the psalm. It's real short. So God presides. This is God Almighty. Psalm 82, verse 1. God presides in the great assembly. What's this great assembly? Well, this is the divine council. But God presides in the great council. He gives judgment among the gods with an S. Gods. How long will you defend the unjust, the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. Defend the cause of the weak and fatherless. Maintain the rights of the poor and oppressed. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. So God is speaking to these gods, small gs, and he's saying, do the right thing, right? Defend the needy and the, and the weak. That's what he's saying to them. He's saying, do the right thing to a group of people who weren't doing the right thing, right? They were bad, bad little gods, <laughs> right? He says, verse 5, they know nothing, they understand nothing. They walk about in darkness, these little gods. This is all the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods. Remember, Jesus quoted that line. You are all the sons of of the Most High. That's God. So you have God Almighty, and then you have these agents of God who have authority and power conferred upon them, right? And that's important. He says, verse 7, but you die like mere men. You will fall every, uh, you will fall like every other ruler, right? There's nothing special about your rulership, your, you know, that you call yourself God's but you're you're not acting like it. It says, rise up, O God. This is God Almighty. Judge the earth, for all the nations are your inheritance. Do you see it? Isn't it great? So remember what I was saying. It's priests. It's um, judges, kings, agents, right? Now, I'm not. we don't want to go there, but remember Romans 13, where it talks about the powers that be, right? It says the powers that be are ordained of God. Right. If you do that, which is good. Great. But if you do that, which is evil, be afraid for this minister of God bears not the sword in vain. He is a representative to execute judgment. So it's talking about that the that the civil law acts in this capacity of being a God. Right. That there is the authority of the civil government and the police. Right. That's the point there. You see how God confers this authority to representatives of him. Well, that's what this record is. So back in John, where we started off in verse 35, if he, if God called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, what about the one whom the father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Who's that? Jesus. How about that? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said I am. Do you get it? Isn't that great? I think that's just amazing. I love it. Jesus was God's representative. So we see that, well, here, let me get to it. Philippians. In this verse, we're going to see what we alluded to back in Joseph. Remember, Joseph had the authority given to him by Pharaoh. Philippians 2. Philippians 2. And look in verse 5, it says, your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. So he's talking to the Philippians. He says, your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God. That's not a good, that's not a good translation. It should be who being in the form of God, right? So Jesus represented God. Remember, he who has seen me has seen the Father. That's the idea here. Who being in the form of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. So here's Jesus. Jesus was the finest human being that ever lived. He didn't have original sin. He was a man. But he could have grasped after God's authority, couldn't he have? I mean, remember, that's exactly what Lucifer did, right? Lucifer tried to be like the Most High God. And then remember, that's what he tempted Adam with. Ye shall be as gods, right? And so he could have, but it says that he considered not equality with God, something to be grasped. 
but made himself nothing, or he emptied himself, taking the very nature of a servant who was made in human likeness, right? And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God exalted him. Who exalted him? God did. Now think about this. If Jesus was God, how was he getting exalted exactly? God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's just like Pharaoh in Egypt, right? That the king The God is that he gave all authority, but he reserved to himself the throne only. Does that make sense to everybody? Isn't that spectacular? I think that's something else. And then we're going to end in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1. And look at verse 18. Ephesians 1, 18. He says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know what is the hope of of which he called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills everything in every way. Isn't that great? This is Jesus. This is Jesus. So it's important that we recognize that we believe firmly in the divinity of Christ, in his mission and his office, not in his being. Why? Because the Bible is clear. He was a man. Very important. He spoke with divine authority and was the bright image of divine perfection. We believe that God dwelt in him. God manifested himself through him. God taught men by him and communicated to him his spirit without measure. Jesus Christ is the most glorious display, expression, and representative of God to mankind, so that in seeing and knowing him, we see and know the invisible Father. So that when Christ came, God visited the world and dwelt with men more conspicuously than in any former period. In Christ's words, we hear God speaking. In his miracles, we behold God acting. In his character and life, we see the unsullied image of God's purity. Isn't that awesome? So that's what I wanted to share. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for this. We thank you, Father, for this whole idea of agency that it unlocks so much about who Jesus Christ is. Father, we thank you for who you are. Father, you made all this happen, and your infinite wisdom has blessed us so abundantly. So, Father, we thank you for this. Thank you, Father, for just an open Bible so that we can know the great truths and riches that your word has to offer us in your son's name jesus christ amen you sat on the side and you tried to hide it deep in your heart there's a burning fire whoever told you that you're not strong today's the day you're gonna prove them wrong sing your victory song
not worthless, you're precious. You're not left out, you're wanted. You're irreplaceable with your shining soul. Love has spoken, you are chosen.